Welcome to CCC Talks, empowering IT and business professionals in their digital transformation journey. Find all the latest tips, tricks, and strategies at our blog and resource center at cloudcredential.org. And now our host, CCC Managing Director, Mark O'Laughlin. Hello, everybody, and welcome to this edition of CCC Talks. You're joined here with Mark O'Laughlin, Managing Director of the CCC. Now, on today's CCC Talks, we're joined by Matt Stratton. Matt is the host of Arrested DevOps podcast and a DevOps evangelist at Pager Duty. Welcome, Matt. It's great to have you with us today on CCC Talks. Thank you for joining us. Thanks so much, Mark. It's my pleasure to be uh, to be a part of the show. Thanks. Now, Matt, our network put us on to you, okay? We have spies everywhere, and they're out looking at different things. Um, so a colleague of mine watched one of your recent presentations, and uh, in the one entitled uh, Fight, Flight, or Freeze, Releasing Organizational Trauma. And having watched that, and I sat down and watched it too, we thought it'd be very interesting to get you on to talk to our listeners more about about this topic. In particular, I mean, I was taken back by, you're talking about incident management, and problem management, root cause analysis, which is fantastic. Um, but for me, you introduced this word trauma. And your session looks at trauma um, and the purpose of the talk described uh, traumatic events as being something that happens in an organization. So we know incidents or an outage preventing business from doing the thing that the business exists to do, you know, affecting their customers. But I'd like you to maybe open up and tell us a little bit more about your perspective of the trauma element of incident and in this incident and problem resolution uh, scenario. Absolutely. So the the idea behind this came from my own experiences with being treated for post-traumatic stress disorder and individual trauma treatment. And when I started to learn about how we as individuals respond to trauma and how our bodies physiologically respond and what are the steps we take in trauma treatment for individual treatment, a lot of it, I was seeing a big parallel to how organizations respond. So if we take the idea that an incident or an outage or a disruption in service, like you said, is basically a traumatic event. So trauma Mm -hmm. is when it occurs to a person is when our nervous system is not is out of answers, right? We we cannot respond. Um, we're we're out of solutions to a problem, and that yeah. introduces trauma. And so the same thing kind of happens. And what happens with people when we have a traumatic event uh, that, that that triggers trauma is that our window of tolerance uh, is is broken, right? We yeah. Normally we can respond, hey, we get, you know, we get activated by something, it activates a response, we respond, we come back, we settle, we continue to move. When there's something traumatic, we might get stuck on or get stuck off, either stuck in flight or stuck in freeze. And organizations tend to do this as well. And what happens that I start, as I started to do a little more research and investigation and thinking this kind of uh, hypothesis out, is that we, uh, so the, the thing that's great about people, we have this thing called the prefrontal cortex. And yes. it's it's usually a big advantage, right? It's, it's where executive function happens. It's how we tell the difference between right and wrong, good and bad. Yeah. But the problem is our prefrontal cortex responds the same way to perceived trauma as it does to real trauma. So when there are things, for lack of a better term, when there are things that physiologically res- remind us of something traumatic, it causes our prefrontal cortex to respond the same way it does to real trauma. 
and organizations do that the same way. When there's something that looks similar, we respond the exact same way. And the reality is systems are very complex, right? Technical yes, and yes. sociological systems within our organizations. So we try to do this pattern recognition. Like we love to do that as humans. We want to say, this looks like something I've seen before. So yeah. I'm going to respond similarly. But the reality yes. is every incident is unique because of the complex systems at play. So mm -hmm. what we tend to do as organizations is we either get stuck on where we're always in um, kind of flight or we get stuck off where we're stuck in freeze and all of these things prevent us from being able to innovate and move forward. Um, yes. Yes. And they're very counterproductive to the idea of being able to learn from incidents and be able to grow as an organization and enhance how we work. Yeah, I think that it's very interesting to bring that level in into it. I've certainly seen organizations over the years have a major incident customer impacting that eventually was, you know, revenue impacting, but also from, um, I guess, um, your organization's perspective, uh, you know, th their perspective as well. But uh, I've seen them try to fight the incident and it just made things worse. I've seen them freeze where they can't make a decision to do anything which yep. prolongs the pain. And then I've seen flight where they uh, say there is no problem when it's blatant to everybody that, that there is, you know, or, or at least at a boardroom, they're trying to hide behind it. So it's very interesting for me to see those human traits actually fall into those those patterns of incident management and to have experienced it myself over, over a number of years. Um, I also wanted to get your view on, you're, you're big into DevOps, so you're big into all this digital, you know the service economy that that that's growing. Um, you know, I take it that there's a lot of people have managed incidents for the last 20, 30 years. It's nothing new today. But is there a case that that if they don't change how they manage these incidents in the past, that these newer technologies, the newer cloud, the outsourcing model that's built around that, do they need to think differently? Uh, for some of these new digital services that are coming out where a provider at least manages the underlying incidents that they never see. I Is think he... that's part of it. There's yeah. there's a lot of reasons that we have to continually evolve our incident response. And one yeah. of the things I like to think about, and I've been doing uh, IT ops for two decades, over two decades, so I've, yeah. things have changed, things are different. Um, there's There's definite data and science behind the idea of you write it, you run it, right? Like, so this idea of sort of having this small group that responds to all incidents and is able to fix everything yes. generally doesn't work for several reasons. One is, to be honest, it never really worked that well in the first place, but we got away with it. And there was a time in my career when I could hold everything about the systems I supported in my head. I could, under, like, you know, you're, you're supporting a LAMP stack, okay, I kind of know all the components, I know what they do, I can help figure it out. Today's distributed systems, it's impossible to be able yes. to understand that because everything and everything's in a constant state of change and dependency. So you wanna be able to, in an incident, get the people who have the domain knowledge about that particular component involved as quickly as possible because they can help restore service as quickly as possible. That being said, in order to do that, we have to change the way we think about incident response in order to do that. Because again, these are such complex systems. And you even mentioned like some of it is outside of our organization. Some of it is stuff that's abstracted away. How do we understand how to, un to, to see what's happening over in AWS when this piece is happening? Plus we had a release on this microservice an hour ago and and I'm just the person carrying the pager. I can't know all this stuff, and it's crazy yeah. to expect me to. 
right? Especially so we, with we're distributing this. Yeah. Yeah. yeah we yeah. have to distribute this effort. And That's, that changes the way that we think about incidents and and investigating and learning from them and sharing information. Yeah, that we again a lot of stuff we're seeing at the CCC uh, when we look at the people aspect of, of change is people having to adapt what they do in smaller increments, but more often. Yes. So how do we change how we do instant management? It's not a big bang thing where you go away for nine months and try and figure it out. Adapt small. So if you're now doing microservices in a DevOps very fast environment, uh, as you said, the incident manager isn't going to know very much about what that is. I think their role is to coordinate and bring people together and bring them through that resolution process using the people involved in, say, a microservice to figure out what went wrong. Or if they can't see it because they're in a, a fight situation, maybe to step back a little bit and to help them, you know, help help them through it. One yeah, thing that I, we yeah, sorry, go ahead, go ahead. I was just gonna say a big part of that is is we're big believers at PagerDuty um in using the incident command system, which was actually developed by first responders outside of tech. And it's, it's how uh first responders and fire resolution and things like that work together. And the role oh. of the incident commander, which can be someone who's their day job, their title is incident manager, doesn't really matter. Yeah. Um they're not a resolver, right? They're a coordinator, they're a communication, they're yeah. a decision maker, but they're getting, they know how to get the right people. And, and it's so much more about psychology and communication and, and leadership and delegation and decision making than any kind of technical acumen in being a really good incident commander. That's it. And I think, um, you know, it's a really strong role. As you said, it's a leadership role. It's a communication role, but you do have to have technical insights or knowledge enough to be able to, understand some of the domains that are being affected, not necessarily the in-depth knowledge, but you do certainly need to know something about it. And I always, you know, is instant management been a little bit debased over the years where it's, oh, sure, we could outsource that to a third party. And maybe that's an answer, maybe it's not. But certainly on some of the core critical applications that organizations have, I'd like to have control of how they get managed from an instant perspective, especially customer-facing, revenue-generating and things that can lead to reputational damage. So I think it's a stronger role possibly than some organizations have, I think, given it merit, I think, over the years. I think a lot of a lot of companies are having great success with having it be a role and not a job. Yes. So um, I, I, give, I give the example at PagerDuty, but there's, there's a lot of other organizations do it the same way. So we don't have people whose job, you know, in the org chart is they're an incident manager. Our incident commanders that are on call as incident command, they have other jobs. And yes. actually what we found is some of our best incident commanders are product owners. And it's because they understand the product, right? They don't necessarily understand Cassandra or Kubernetes or yep. the, the deep yep. technical part, but they know how our product works. They know how the components work and they have really good product owners and product managers tend to have really good delegation and communication and decision-making skills. Mm -hmm. And the other reason we, we made the mistake in the past of saying, well, we want our incident commanders to be like engineering managers or engineering. The problem is, one of the rules of incident command is you're not a resolver, right? So uh, if you're an engineer in your day-to-day -day job, you're not necessarily a great incident commander because you might be the person who's best equipped to help solve the problem, but you can't yeah. be solving the problem because you're trying to run the incident and you're trying to move this team together. So we've, we've had a bunch of really interesting experiences and I've seen a lot of other companies have adopted this as they adopt the ICS. And it can be that you're, it, it's not a kind of a, 
a problem with saying having a a, 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 um, a formal incident management role within your organization, but look at what those skills are and where those things come in and how those folks can have that understanding uh, and follow those processes. You can still follow those same processes. It works really well. Yeah, I think that that's, that's a good approach. And as you said, you, your view, you've taken it from first responders in incidents and brought it back into the world of technology and services that, uh, that we live in. Um, one thing we're hearing a lot, um, we're interested in the space. One thing we're hearing a lot from people we talk to about incident management is um, with all this, let's say, movement into cloud, so you'll have a cloud, cloud, many cloud providers and software as a service providers providing applications to underlying infrastructure. So if there's any real incidents in those environments, they don't come to the organization. They're handled by the cloud provider. So typically what we're hearing is there's a reduction in incident volume per se, which is uh, which, which can be seen as a positive. However, when an incident strikes, or when it happens, it's generally of a bigger issue and a bigger challenge to try and resolve because the easy stuff is taken care of behind the scenes by the cloud or the SaaS provider. Are you seeing this as well in, in your experience? I think it's what we're seeing is more of a distribution of incidents because again, as that responsibility is, is, is kind of being um, shared among the organization. So what happens is you have folks that are responding to incidents more infrequently than they used to. Right. Yes. So that's one of yes. the challenges. Again, when I think back to being a sysadmin and carrying a pager and I'd be on a, a, a on-call rota for a week, I probably like got paged like six times during that week. So I knew <laughs> how to do incident response because I did it all the time. These yes. days, as we're doing the great thing of putting more people on call, distributing the load, being more focused on what we're in, you can go a lot longer between being involved in incidents. And the problem yes. is practice makes permanent, right? So what you yes. don't want yes. is you don't want to have it be you get paged in on an incident and you don't even remember how to log into PagerDuty because you haven't done it for six months, right? <laughs> you don't you don't want to be trying to remember how yeah. to do postmortems because you never do them. Yes. So there's two yes. reasons we want to practice this. One is because, again, practice makes permanent, just so that it's that. But it also goes back to that trauma thing, right? What we want to do, everything about an incident is stressful. It just happens, right? Yes. So what we want to do is we want to create a physiological response in ourselves to incident response so that when we are paged in, we are doing everything we can to minimize stress. Because the number one, I'll, I'll give you, a, here's here's your pro tip. The most important thing to do in an incident, this is your golden, golden ticket, silver bullet. It's two words, don't panic. That is the most important <laughs> thing. I don't care about anything else. And, and it's impossible yeah. to not, right? So what we want to yes, do is we want to yes. create this thing. So when we do things like, planned failure injection, game days, we're practicing doing incident response during a calm time, right? Yeah. So that the mechanics of doing it, so getting alerted on our pager or our, our phone or whatever, logging into our incident response system, working through the communication bridge and all that stuff, we're used to, We here's the thing, the human brain is brilliant and it's also really stupid, right? We can absolutely <laughs> trick ourselves and- yeah. Physiological association is huge. Like uh, the example I give all the time. So I've worn contact lenses for, you know, 30 plus years. And when I put contacts in, I wake up more. I can become more awake. And when I take contacts out, I get sleepy. And that's from 30 plus years of putting them in in the morning and taking them yeah. out before bed. I have taught myself. And there's all sorts of things people do. This is 
yeah. a, a silly thing. This is why I tell people to rotate the alarm sound on their phone from their paging system, because you know how that happens, right? When you always get that same alert and it means you got paged, when you hear that, you go, oh my God. And you, you have this response. So you want to yes. switch it up so that you don't create this like Pavlovian response to incident response. It should just be like, this is just a thing we do. It's cool. We're fine. This is just a thing we do. So practicing that and, and doing that practicing also, and this goes a little bit into when you talked about having these dependencies on cloud providers and SaaS providers and things outside of this, we want to plan those failures are going to occur. And what we want to do is have them be non-events, right? You know, I mean, granted, if like all of, you know, US East and Amazon goes down, everyone's having a bad day. I'm sorry, that just happens, right? Yeah. That also yeah. doesn't happen very regularly. So it's kind yes. of okay. Yes. But it's not uncommon to have some kind of degradation to some API you talk to. So it's usually degradation rather than abject failure. So we want we want to be testing that so that when it occurs, we know how to handle it. And that's where chaos engineering comes in in these ideas because I always tell people like, if you think you're not testing in production, I got news for you, you are, you just don't know you are, right? <laughs> so it's much yeah. better to be able to test yeah. a hypothesis. Like, and, and that's what we're trying to do with failure injection is we're testing a hypothesis. We're not breaking things on purpose, but I have a hypothesis that if the payment processor uh, um, is degraded, right? So I, I consume this API to process credit cards, let's say. My hypothesis is I've written code that if it returns an error every other time, I will handle that. Okay, I'm hypothesizing. Okay, well, I better test that in a controlled way because I sure as hell don't want to test it at two in the morning when I'm not ready for it. So this is letting yeah. us understand this so that we have um, better resilience and robustness and reliability to our systems because our systems, I got news for you, our systems today are always in some state of degradation. There's always yeah. something that isn't working. And we need to just embrace that that is a fact and be able to build our processes and our infrastructure and our approaches to handle that so that it's not impactful to our ability to deliver service to our customers. Yeah, I, I love that. Um, the fact that our systems are in some kind of state of degradation, um, even for all the, the cloud and the digital services that are out there, they have to be coupled together. And it's probably on that coupling or interfacing now is where we see some of the problems. But that's probably the areas we should be looking at testing and doing the things you've said, the planned failure injection. Um, I'll come to uh, the failure Fridays now in a moment. Because one thing you mentioned, I just want to come back, the tip mm -hmm. you gave us, don't panic, love it, don't panic. Um, especially as you said, if you're in one of these, um, one of the large uh, public cloud majors and, and it goes down, as you said, for the whole East Coast, don't panic because everybody's down. Yeah, you know? they like to say fire, fire is not an emergency to the fire department, you know, so. Oh, that's fantastic. Fire is not an emergency to the fire There's a great story. We were, when we were developing our incident response process, we actually trained with some first responders, with some firefighters, not fighting fires, but just on the process. And there's a yes, great story yes. that we heard, which was, you know, so this happens all the time to firefighters. They're at, you know, at a, at a home fire. And of course a homeowner is panicking and freaking out as you would because your house is burning down. Yeah. And they say to them, but then the problem is that panic is getting in the way of the firefighters being able to do their job. Course, and yeah. so what they say is, hey, this may be your first fire. It is not our first fire, right? We, we've got this. So that's, then that's why all this practice is important. 
because we need to stay calm and go through our, our mechanism. Everything is different. We want to be able to expend our energy on figuring out how to restore mm -hmm. service and not calming ourselves down and, and doing all those things. It's, 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 it's okay. This is just the thing that happens. That's, that's fantastic. That's, that's fantastic throw in there. So you were talking about plan failure injection, but that leads me on to tell us a little bit about your failure Fridays. This, this sounds like fun. So you get yeah. a load of pizzas in, break something, and then go figure it out. <laughs> Absolutely. So we call them failure Fridays because we initially did them on Fridays. Now we they're really failure any day, but we still call sure, them failure sure. Friday because yeah. we like alliteration. But the idea behind this is, first of all, so for PagerDuty, there's no good time for things to be down. Right. We are a 24 yeah. seven, 365. Trust me, we have we don't have maintenance windows. Right. There's there's no time that's OK for PagerDuty yeah. to be down. Yeah. Actually, the best time for PagerDuty to be down is during our business day when everybody's at work because yes. we have the most people equipped. Like the worst time is two in the morning when everybody's on call, the best time. So what <laughs> we do when we do our, our, our game day, our failure Friday, we do it during the business day in the middle of the day. And it's all very planned. So the idea behind this is we take a service, we take a system and we say what, again, we're exercising that hypothesis. Our mm -hmm. hypothesis is that if we shut down, for example, the experiment might be, what happens if we shut down three of the EC2 instances that support this service? Yes. The hypothesis is that everything will be fine because yes. we can do that. So we, we build it together and we test that hypothesis. But the things that are important when you do this is number one, we run it like an incident. We have an incident commander. We follow our normal incident response process, and yeah. that's for two reasons. One being it might actually turn into an incident, right, if our <laughs> hypothesis is wrong, but also <laughs> giving us a really good way to practice so that yeah. we have this. So we do this every Friday, whether, you know, we're always, we're always practicing. The other thing that you need to do when you are running a, a chaos experiment like this or a failure injection is you have to know what your most important business metric is. And that's the thing you're watching. And if at any time that starts to dip or become a problem, cancel the experiment. You're done. It, it failed. So a good example. And the, the reason and things like to watch are not CPU yeah. utilization or network. They're, what are your key business metrics? And some of the classic examples are like Netflix stream starts per second. That's the number that Netflix, if they see that number go down, they're like, we're done. Let's move on. Amazon average cart size for us. It's uh, delivery notification time. So yes, you need yes. to know what that one thing is that you're watching. And as soon as it starts to dip, you're like, all right, experiment over. You know, we've gotten in front of it. And this is before your customers notice, before it becomes yeah. a problem. I don't yeah. care how much CPU MySQL is using. I really don't. But I certainly care if people are able to buy shoes, assuming that you sell shoes. If you don't, it's then a, you don't really yeah, care. Yeah. No. <laughs> To me, that that's 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 a fantastic thing to 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 bring up in this session here because, as you said, it the key thing to be watching is one of the key business metrics, not an IT metric. Now you might yep. be gauging them and seeing what happens. Fine, and I think from my experience over again the last number of years is a lot of people, if they even did something like this, they're looking at the wrong metric. They're looking at the IT things, and then the business are screaming, hey, as you said, the carts aren't being filled or the value has right. dropped. What are you doing? Yeah, but we've got good CPU over here. Yeah. <laughs> it doesn't yeah. matter. Exactly. Matter. I always tell people when I have these conversations, I said, do you know how your company makes money? If you don't, go yes. find out. I'll wait. <laughs> right? Yeah. Because you have to know <laughs> these Right. I'll so. tell you, you could be waiting a long time, uh, yeah. depending on who you ask, but it's incumbent on people running these and managing and building these systems to know the business metric. 
because that's what we're in business for. And yeah, yes. we fleshed that out in our research as well. It's uh, I think it's now coming to light with, um, especially with the DevOps, new versions of ITIL and this, is they're looking more at business metrics and trying to say, this is where the value is. The other stuff is good. We've got it. We understand it. We've got to manage it, but that's not where the fire is. Yep. Um, and the other thing, uh, as you're describing your um, failure Fridays, um, I'm just thinking it's a fire drill. If you use the fireman and, or fire person analogy, it's the fire drills every week. Yeah. It's it's it, and it's tuning yourself. And I can see how that leads to an, uh, an organization and a, a group of teams and people being able to say, "Yeah, we got this." and go deal with it rather than hit the panic button, everybody's screaming. Because sometimes you'll get those senior execs ringing down saying, I'm putting a lot of pressure on to probably do the wrong thing. Yes. Where you like that, as you said, the homeowner's telling the fire guy, hey, don't break that window to let the smoke and the, the, the fire out so you can hose it down because I'll have to replace it. He's like, I'm going to do that because it'll probably put the fire out quicker than any other approach that, that we take. Yeah, yeah executive so swoop. To push back. We call that executive swoop, and it can be very disruptive during an incident. And it's a big skill for an incident commander is to know how to handle that. And we do a lot of training around that, but yeah. I'll give you yeah. I'll give you one one tip. So the, at the yeah. end of the day, the way you prevent all executive swoop is keeping your stakeholders informed and keep them informed somewhere other than the response call. Have a different yeah. way to keep them up to date because most of the times yeah. these happen because they come from the best of intentions, right? These are folks who, this is their business too. They're, they're trying to help. They're trying to get information but it's disruptive. But the thing yeah. is, so this is my little, my other little, my second pro tip for, for folks listening. If you're running an incident, if you're the incident commander and executive, you know, CEO jumps on, CIO jumps on, starts barking orders saying, you know, don't listen to Matt, listen to me, do what I'm saying, blah, blah, blah. There is one key phrase that will help you every time. And you say, are you taking command? And watch how quickly that person does not say yes. Fantastic. And if they do, then fantastic. Great. You're done. You're like, sweet. CEOs in charge, but more often than not, it's a it's a lot of stuff, uh, and we do a lot of great training. And if you go to yes, our, yes. Um, we've open sourced our incident command training at response.pageofduty.com, so people can check it out. And there's a lot of great tips on handling executive swoop and stakeholder communication. And you don't have to use our product to be able to use these these uh, techniques. Yes, yep. I'm a big That's fan. That's fantastic. Uh, we'd love people to go over, have a look at that. And as you said, it's open source. Use it. Yeah. I like that um, executive swoop. Um, how we avoid it, have a separate call that talks to them as mm -hmm. opposed to them being involved in the, the firefighting call, which really makes sense because everybody's on the call making noise. Get them off it, get them somewhere else, inform them slightly different with maybe a little bit of, of language. Um, I think that's really good. And I love the, the question, <laughs> are you taking command, which also means responsibility yep. for what's happening next. That's uh, really, really good. As you said, you, you're training your mindset and your teams, your people to be able to react, engage, get on, get things done, and then get on to the next thing. And possibly, I think it really fits in this digital space because, as I said, uh, with the way we're coupling a lot of clouds and digital everything together, I think we're getting uh, less incidents of uh, the, the minutiae nature uh, and more of the complex nature that requires more of this, not less, and probably requires more of it within an organization rather than being outsourced just as a process outsourcing um, exercise. So much more coordination 
because there's so many people that get involved now because you don't yes as you're, as you're going and looking at all these different contributing factors in a cascading failure because usually major incidents are not one thing that happened it's a cascading failure of a lot of small failures that all happened in a unique way and so you yes, have to do a yes. lot of coordination to to learn from that Yes, yes. Um, you're, you used the example of the, the firefighter. I have an example of the airline industry mm -hmm. and in crash investigations that they never look for a single root cause. It's always a number of things that have happened that led to a catastrophic accident or whatever has happened. Uh, there's no single root cause. There's multiple causes that happen and in a certain sequence caused X and Y to, to, to then happen. Um, so I think those examples, the firefighter examples, stuff from outside of our general day to day, where you know um, people have really trained for this is really good. Matt, I have a quote. I'm just going to read it here. Yes. Uh, that was really good. So resilient organizations are not traumatized by routine threats to their mission or business. Non-resilient organizations are readily overwhelmed and often subject to symptoms of overreaction, shutdown, and a lack of regulated effort. I think that's a fantastic quote. I think you've kind of covered uh, what that means uh, in regards to if you're not ready for it, you're going to have the negative reaction and you're non-resilient. Resilient means being ready, being trained. We have the equipment, we have the people, we've put them under stress, put them under pressure uh, in good times. So when the negative thing happens, they're good to go and we roll out the machine. I think that, that, that speaks to that quote. And I think the real key of that is about the word resiliency. And when we think about being resilient, it's different than being reliable or robust, right? So resiliency is not about planning for the things that we know are going to happen a resilient organization or a resilient system has adaptive capacity yes, right has yes. the ability to flex around the things yes. that we don't know and we can't plan for because and that's where we can run into that analysis paralysis and try to think of all the things that might happen and it's yeah. also this idea around incident prevention like how do we yes. prevent this from ever happening again i'm sorry you yes. don't it might yes. happen again for a different reason for different combinations of things but yeah. if our system and our team and our organization is resilient we can respond to it we can adapt to it we can flex and we can minimize the impact and we can continue to service our customers and our users and keep yeah. everybody happy yeah he said respond adapt and minimize i think that they're, they're key things but this has been right this has been really good i i really like these sessions where um you know we delve into the outside world and, and bring it back in we're going to finish up but i'm going to ask you just one final question maybe to give us a few comments on because um, mm -hmm. you did speak about, I, I love this, you know, you spoke about um, why blameless postmortems matter and why they're so important. So this, this whole idea of a blameless postmortem, could you just expand on that for a moment? Absolutely. And <clears throat> there's a little bit of a, a lot of times when we're thinking about blameless, we're really thinking about sanctionless, but blameless sounds good. And the thing is, we have to be blame aware. <laughs> like it's our tendency to look for... Um, a human failure, right? And, and a person who did a bad job or something. The problem is that normally that's not the case. Normally yes. it's, a, it's a phenomenon around um, mistakes. Mistakes happen, they're going to happen. But here's the thing, if people are, to put a really broad stroke on this, if people are afraid of being punished for making mistakes, I've got news for you, they're not going to make fewer mistakes. They're gonna become subject matter experts at hiding their mistakes. And now you are well and truly screwed. 
because you don't yeah. know what's happening. So what you're doing is it's not necessarily embracing failure in terms of like, oh, good job, you broke something, awesome. Here's a here, you know, here's a pony. But great, you brought this to our attention. And there was a really interesting thing. I just um, one of my favorite series uh, on HBO has just come back on streaming, and it's called From the Earth to the Moon. And it's a it's a documentary series like dramatization about the Apollo program. Yes, and there's a yeah. great episode where they talk about the lunar lander and how it was built. And there's a part I just watched this the other day where one of the engineers realized his calculations were wrong. And he basically went into his boss to throw himself on the sword to basically say, I, I'm sure I'm fired. And yes. his, his, his boss was upset, you know, and said, how did the, you know, okay, I can't, this is upsetting. This happened. Go home. And he's like, okay, I'll clean up my notes. No, go home, get some sleep. This is so important that you brought it to our attention. Again, I'm not thrilled that this mistake happened. This is not great, yes. but you brought it to our attention. We can do something about it. We can learn from it. And the yes. more information we have and the more that people are willing to share information, the more that we can all learn from incidents because incidents are a gift. They are systems telling us something we didn't know before. So the more that we can think about how we learn and we can only learn by having a culture of trust and that comes from being sanctionless and blameless. And it's hard because what do most people want to do? They want to find the person to blame. They want to mm -hmm. say it's the singular root cause. It was Mark. Mark screwed up. We're going to solve the problem by firing Mark. Okay, all kinds of problems with that, right? You're sending the oh, yeah. message. And you know who probably knows the most about what went wrong? Mark! <laughs> but I'll tell you what, Ma, I'll, I'll just I'll just pack up the desk and the. Yeah. <laughs> yep, but you're no, fired. you're quite right. Yeah, I, you I just cannot it, fire your way to reliability. Oh, so. I we're finishing on one of the best quotes I've heard. You cannot fire your way to reliability. I I love that. I think we get the the construct, and I think that's part of this organizational change and managerial change mindset that we need to get into. Um, in this IT, this DevOps world, whatever that is, um, because we've good people, mistakes will happen. Um, give people and empower them to own up and deal with it, learn from it. Now, if you continually make mistakes and you're not learning, maybe there's a process that person has to go through. If they're learning and making less mistakes and adding more value back in, fantastic, fantastic. Matt, this has been, this has been truly fantastic eye-opener. I think on this session, we've gone from Earth to the moon and back. <laughs> I didn't expect that one. <laughs> so listen, um, last final thing to say, listen, thank you very much for joining us. Uh, we've got some really good tips. We have a, a good reference point to some open source material from yourself. So we'd like people to go off and have a look at that. And we hope that makes a difference. Matt, thank you so much for joining us on CCC Talks. I'm sure we'll uh, talk again. Thanks so much for having me. It's been great. Thank you for joining this episode of CCC Talks. We hope you enjoyed this episode and walk away with a ton of actionable insights. If this is your first time joining us, this is us extending a personal invitation to you to join other IT and business professionals. So please subscribe on iTunes, YouTube, or Google Play. If you are struggling in any capacity in your digital transformation journey, contact us. We'd be more than happy to guide you and find you the right certification courses to help you manage the challenges modern businesses are facing. This was CCC Talks. Until next time.